This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Now on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia, The Labor Show. Jay Doc and Krause. If we don't move in our own direction, we're going to become extinct. In fact, in some cases, we're close to being extinct right now. Presented by the law offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. This is a special edition of The Labor Show with Jay Doc, Krause, and John Doherty. And we're live on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT as the 2021 NFL draft comes to a close. The Kentucky Derby wraps up. Uh, we jump into the labor show with John Doherty. It's the John Doherty Hour. Uh, Doc, a lot of activity, a lot going on, man. Great to be uh, uh, live with you tonight. Yeah, Joe, as you can tell, I got a little cold, so you're going to have some fun with my voice tonight. You know, uh, great week, great weekend. Uh Eagles draft, I mean, you did a fabulous job. I know you had your podcast running. Uh, you had Gunner and all them guys around, and uh, you did a really good job. And great, you know, Kentucky Derby, you know, I guess I guess you consider an upset, but any time a Baffert horse wins, it's not an upset, you know. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about that. And we've got a lot to cover, a lot of ground to cover uh, tonight here uh, on the Labor Show. Yes, you're missing the voice of uh, J-Doc, um, who has taken uh, the night off. We may hear from him uh, a little bit later on uh, in the broadcast. Um, we normally try and um, talk a little bit about, uh, get some flavor uh, on, on whether it's the Eagles or the Sixers or the Flyers or Phillies uh, from uh, Philly's biggest fan, John Doherty. Um, Doc, I'd love to just stay on the draft for a couple of minutes as we start to, you know, as we start the show uh, and get your opinion. I had you on the uh, on the broadcast on Thursday night after the first round selection, Devontae Smith, um, and I think and that was late into the night um, when we talked for 25 minutes and uh, about. Devontae and about the pick and directionally that was the start of the draft now I will tell you that it's gone all downhill from there I'd love to get your I'd love to get your thoughts yeah I thought that the uh I thought that the first pick was a great pick uh I I had told you you know on Thursday night that uh yeah I thought that Pitts and Smith were the two best you know options we had out there to change our game uh, I actually thought that Dickerson wasn't a bad pick, but I thought that they were going to grab him with the pick that they traded to get back up, you know, at that 10th at spot. So, uh, no, I wasn't impressed with anything after that. You know, the, the running back out of Memphis, you know, has a chance to be a player, but nothing else knocked me over. How about you? Yeah, the only thing I like, I don't know, I don't know a lot about Kenneth Gainwell, who is that running back out of Memphis, but I will tell you this, Doc, I love the last name, he's got a great last name for a running back, 
gain well. Yeah. No, 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 no doubt about uh, no doubt about that. Uh, if I'm giving it a, if I'm putting a grade on the draft, I've got to uh, hang a C or maybe a C minus on this draft. But um, I think the reality of it is, if you know, and I think you brought this up, Doc, on Thursday night. Uh, this team's not a playoff contender um, in 2021. So, and if if we think that they are, we're um, we're probably uh, fooling ourselves. Um, this is all about you know 2022 multiple first round draft picks, three to be exact. Um, and I think they kind of drafted it that way as this thing unfolded. Yeah, I think the uh, the part of the draft that'll be remembered the most is the scene where Allie Roseman and the senior scout Tom Bonio, you know, kind of publicly on, you know, on social media disagreed on a draft pick. So, uh, you know, you don't usually see that happen that often. Uh, I guess that's the mindset. You know, I mean, it's a Hallie Roseman, you know, ran team. And, you know, senior scouts probably don't control, you know, much of the selection process. So, you know, we have to take a look at it. And, and if you're looking, if you're saying that we're three years away or two years away or, you know, um, you know, I was hoping we could do a little bit better. I thought we could plug a couple more starters in. You know, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, I think that when we draft, and you've heard me say this for a long time now, you know, when you have these multiple picks at the end of the draft, the sixth and the seventh rounds, you know, I think you can't go wrong just picking big off, big offensive linemen from some of the big schools. You know, and there's a reason why, you know, all the Georgia, Alabama, you know, Iowa, Michigan linemen go. And, you know, we just don't seem to do that. We always go to, you know, small colleges and look for undersized, you know, players that we think are going to turn into great edge rushers and, you know, give me some a name other than Brendan Graham, you know, that has consistently sat the quarterback any time in the most recent past. You know, and as you saw today, Brendan, we had Brendan Graham as part of the uh, draft coverage with uh, Derek Gunn, and um, very candid, very open, great conversation uh, with Brandon, not only about what was happening in the draft, but where he is thir- now, 33 years old, um, still has a motor, still has a desire to make money and prove uh, and prove himself to the new coaching staff. Um, so we know he's going to do well, but as he said today, hey, at any point um, when you get to be my age playing the position that I play, you just don't know how many years are left uh, in front of uh, you know in front of him. And and, and I guess Doc, we, we can end it with this: if if you and I sat down and went through the roster from back in uh, the Super Bowl winning season back in 2017, um, and we put we put up the roster right now. There are very few people uh, left on that roster um, to uh, that we would compare that are now on both rosters. That's just the way it is. Yeah, of course, that's been a few years now. But uh, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back with your memory a little bit. Do you remember when we did the radio show early on? It was Brendan Graham's maybe first official visit to Philadelphia. And you and I, you had me doing an interview with you, and he showed up. And, you, and I wound up, you know, speaking with him on air uh, two days after he got drafted or three days after he got drafted. It was with you. I still you have know. the video, Doc. And you know what he did at, the, at what used to be 
the Penzi flea market uh, right off the expressway. You know what he did? You remember what he did? You were there, right? Yeah, we crashed. We, we, we knocked up the Dallas car, right, if I'm not yeah, mistaken? Yeah, we, with, we with had the, the and, Yeah, you know. we, no doubt. Had some great uh, – and, and Brandon didn't just do the ceremonial, give me the sledgehammer and let me take one whack. He crushed it. Yes, great oh. stuff. Hey, it just popped up on air, the $1 Superfect that paid 10 grand. Oh, so I, I hopefully there's a few people out there, you know, for a dollar, pick the winners. 147th Kentucky Derby coming to a close as well as we come on the air uh, with the Labor Show. It's uh, our uh, live one-hour edition. It's the John Doherty Hour. A lot to cover. Um, let's do this, Phil, if you don't mind. Let's get to a break. Um, we'll take our first break a little bit early. Um, we'll set the table, uh, and then on the other side, uh, we'll begin uh, what is a full um a full outline of conversation uh, that we'll have with John Doherty back in a moment. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show are sponsored by Plumbers Local 690, Sheet Metal Workers Local 19, Iron Workers Local 401, and SEIU Local 32BJ District 1201. This whole nonsense about not giving workers the right to organize with so-called right to work, that's bad. Something like that comes to my desk, I'll be to it, not just because I'm a Democrat, not just because I'm pro-labor, but because I know for a fact that's not very smart. And back here live on the John Doherty Hour as we come to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, We will officially say uh, tonight the labor show with John Doherty uh, being broadcast live on May 1st, 2021. And I emphasize the date of tonight's broadcast, Doc, to lead you into uh, some conversation uh, about May 1st being May Day, the significance of May Day, the importance of it. Um, And with that, I'll give you the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, The whole whole environment, this last year has been so insane. You know, with the pandemic, it was just good. Even the Kentucky Derby, just to see people in the stands. You know, the the whole environment, every date has a significant you know, significance with it this year. I mean, everything seems to be accentuated. You know, and uh, you know, the labor community is 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 a buzz. We have you know primaries in May. We have a whole bunch of other opportunities. You know, in front of us, everybody's watching closely. You know, the Amazon elections and everybody's watching, you know, the economy, where we go. Because believe it or not, you know, at the, the, the uh, uh, union movement has never had anyone in office like President Biden. But, you know, it's great to give us all these tools, but it's up to us to do our jobs. And it's just like every single, every single day carries a, a special significance with it that we haven't had in the past. <clears throat> You know, you mentioned Doc, um, and I'm going to bring um, our good buddy Jay Doc's going to join us. I'll bring him into the conversation um, in just a moment, um, and then that'll give you and I a break because, as you know, when we bring Jay Doc onto the conversation, once he starts talking, we can walk out of the room, uh, grab a water, and then make ourselves back in, and he's still going. But we'll bring, <laughs> all kidding aside, we'll bring him into the chatter in just a moment. Um, you talked about, or you mentioned. Um, Amazon, and we've talked about Amazon, we've talked about the Amazon vote, um, and now 
Um, I got a note and a link and a, uh, to a story today uh, from Frank Keel that referenced uh, evidence where, uh, regarding the Amazon vote um, that could be grounds for overturning that election, uh, according to the U.S. Labor Board. Um, what are your initial thoughts or your, 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 what is your reaction uh, you know, to that being a possibility. We've talked about all the examples of perhaps why it should be. Um, now it appears that the Labor Board has come out and said, oh, yeah, the Labor Relations Board has said, uh, yeah, there, there, there may be a grounds for overturning the vote. Well, anytime you fire people, you know, for union uh, organizing, uh, that is like the most flagrant of charges. But there, there's... Every single charge, if, if you have like the Ten Commandments of what you should not do, they did. You know, they isolated workers. They did everything. And it was, it was pretty much stated during that time frame, you know, that this was ongoing, that this, they, were, they were fighting, you know, behemoth. They were giving people raises and things like that. They're, they were guaranteeing them incentives if they reached certain goals. And, and they're quasi, I mean, they're quasi-illegal. But, you know, you flat out just can't you know, isolate people and fire people, you know, because they, they have people's ear. And that's what happens. And, and, and it's, you know, I don't understand why they have to do it because they have enough money, they have enough work opportunities, and they control the one, number one element that both sides want and need. You can't make any money if you don't have jobs, the product, the jobs. They have the work product and they have the jobs and they have the people. So, you know, it would have been real simple just to say, okay, you know, what are you looking for? You know, I know a lot of these guys, you know, nationally. And most of the union organizers are real common sense people. You know, nobody's looking to become an owner. Okay, they're just looking to become a partner. And I don't mean a financial partner. I just mean a partner in in the company. And, uh, you know, Amazon amazes me that they fight, you know, as hard as they do. I, I guess it's you know, uh, okay, people like to say the ideology, but, I, you know, there's just three or four or five people, I guess, at the top levels all across our country that say, hey, we're going we're gonna to go this way. We're not going to be union friendly. We're not going to be worker friendly. We're not going to be middle class friendly. You know, and again, you offer jobs and you take advantage of people and, uh, you know, but they don't have to do that. You've heard me say a hundred times, you know, I, I've lost some really, you know, good battles with Comcast. You know, I mean, we build their buildings, but we don't represent all their people. And we've taken some of them to organizing campaigns, and sometimes we lose. You know, and I said it's always our job in the labor movement that, if you know, there's that, that non-union, non-human element, okay, of the industry. And the non-union piece, which we see far and few between, is the, you know, the company that pays fair wages, you know, has some sort of benefit package and maybe a scaled-down retirement. Okay, it's my job to go and get them. It's not their job to sign up with me. Okay, and then it's my job to go after the other guys who just break every wall. And in some cases, you know, there's not even an organizing effort at the end of the table. You know, it's almost like, you know, it's us against them. They break every wall, but they make tons of money. So they try to get rid of us, you know, by, you know, promoting, you know, a false narrative about unions versus us trying to get rid of them by bringing all their illegal, you know, pay schemes and things like that to the press. But Amazon doesn't have to do that, you know, and, and they do, and I don't understand why. They build, they build a lot of their warehouses union, 
and then they make us chase them on a lot of other ones. If they would sit down, they have a specific contractor, a general contractor, uh, a union general contractor named Gil Bain. They've done three or four major you know, facilities with them. If they sat down with Gil Bain and said, okay, you go back to the Philadelphia building trades. This is what we need to be competitive across the whole area, the whole region, you know, every place where we represent people. And then we need them to help us with their friends in Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, New Jersey. We need to get to this number. We need these projects. We need them brought in on time. We need them on the budget. They probably could get that done in every case because the jobs where they're using us now, that's the case. Why so I don't understand that. that. Why, I don't why understand doesn't that mentality. happen, John? Why doesn't that happen? Well, in the beginning, you know, it does get down. And I told you, a lot is the mentality of the new ownership. Mm-hmm. You know, in the old days, you had a lot of these companies that were, you know, West and Soul. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago. Ron Rubin. Ron Rubin and all his, you know, malls and investments had labor harmony clauses. Now, that didn't guarantee that we were filled up with building trades. Just guarantee that if there was a legitimate dispute, okay, it would be resolved. And a legitimate dispute is when you have an area wage and standard and somebody's paying $20 less an hour and they're not paying overtime at any with any added incentives and they don't carry a benefit package okay, and they don't always pay taxes, okay, there's the type of item that the people like Ron Rubin, rest his soul, would stand up and say, no, let's use this specific general contractor. We know that that won't happen. We have two or three or four guys in town. We have Hunter Roberts. You see them all over the place. I mean, they might they might have seven or eight large jobs right now. When they get a job, you're 99.9% sure it's going to be a union job. You're also 99% sure that every bill that they owe to the city, state, or government is going to be paid. It's just that easy. You get that Gilbane I mentioned. You know when... You know, when Amazon does a job with Gilbane, they don't have to worry about anything being, any laws being broke. And in most cases, you don't have to worry about anybody getting hurt. You don't have to worry about anybody working for unfair wages. It's the John Doherty Hour here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Our co-host, Jay Doc, is uh, off for a rare Saturday night, a well-deserved uh, Saturday night. But uh, Jay Doc, fortunate or or. I'm thrilled that uh, you were able to give us a call. Um, Let me jump right into the conversation and have you follow up a little bit, Jay Doc, uh, uh, you know, uh, about John's thoughts about it. I mean, we've had many conversations recently about uh, the the, uh, Amazon situation in uh, Alabama. Um, You've been very passionate. Um, You come to it from... Um, a different perspective than I do, and let me let you pick it up from there. Well, first of all, it's, it's great to join into the uh, discussion. I happen to be calling in from a Kentucky, a Kentucky Derby party, a family outing that we do every year, so it's, it's great to call in. Um, I'm in the middle of a field, so I was, I was a little worried you wouldn't hear me, but here's the thing. I think it comes down to corporate greed, and you're talking about one of the richest companies on the planet, and these, these individuals, I think there's 23 objections surrounding the Amazon's behavior during the months uh, long campaign. And it's, it's it, you know, you just can't, you know, the conditions that these workers are working in, um, you know, being fired for or, or docked pay 
fired for for bathroom breaks at the with the one they worked they have to keep up with the robots. So if they don't keep up with the robots, and that includes when they go to the bathroom, if somebody's if the bathroom's down on the second floor and they got to go to the third floor, to, uh, they get in trouble. Uh, their schedule can be changed in the middle of the night while they're sleeping. The the thing is, John Doherty always says it's a human thing. It's not a, hu- a union thing. Well, let me tell you something. Um, nobody in their right mind, unless they were being intimidated and bullied to the max and threatened their jobs, would ever turn down representation. So you're talking about um, those allegations that, that, that Amazon interrogated and fired a pro-union employee who was passing out union uh, authorization cards. I mean, they were literally... Uh, what were they? Uh, they were removing employees from mandatory meetings who asked questions and dis and, and disciplined and outspoken supporter of the union. I mean, uh, Amazon sent multiple messages to workers threatening widespread layoffs and the possibility of closing the facility, maybe losing their benefits. I mean, they tried every 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 trick in the book. And and here's the thing: and why the Pro Act is so important because it ups the fines for these scumbags. Okay. And, you know, the people that are bullying these employees that are going to work scared to death every day for the job, okay? Amazon's not worried because they don't have to pay big fines. They can afford anything. They'll probably be able to afford anything anyway. But they're clawing, kicking, and screaming trying to push these people down, and it's an absolute absolute tragedy. That's why they're doing it. It's a goddarn disgrace. Doc, what do you think will come out of the uh, National Labor Relations Board hearing if there is one? Um, what do you think will What do you think will happen there? I think you'll have another election. You know, I don't. Think, I think they'll overturn it. They'll they'll have another election. There'll be some uh, supervision. It'll be done with federal guidelines, and uh, it'll be fair. And uh, you know, it's it's. I've been in them processes where the governments come in. They're they're usually pretty sensitive. You know, to uh, you know people's ability to have their vote heard it's the john doherty hour here on talk radio 1210 wpht j doc we miss you brother thanks for checking in um go back and enjoy your uh mint juleps uh on this the 147th <laughs> running of the kentucky derby uh and we'll see you next week thank you guys have a good uh, one all right, good stuff from uh, Jay Doc. John, you take a break. I'll take a break. Uh, we'll get to a commercial break. We'll continue uh, with the John Doherty Hour on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show are sponsored by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Iron Workers Local 405, and Steam Fitters Local 420. We're going to try to work with Republicans in a bipartisan way to find solutions to what really is not working. And we're back here live on the John Doherty Hour as we come to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It's a Saturday night around uh, the Delaware Valley. So glad you're uh, with us for uh, the hour. Always look forward to uh, the second hour. Look forward to both hours of the Labor Show. Look forward to the second hour. Uh, That's when we do the John Doherty Hour, and we uh, have been fortunate enough uh, to be able to do it every Saturday night uh, live uh, with John. Tonight being no difference. And thanks to Jay Doc uh, for tuning in. Doc, uh, let's talk about one other um, uh, thing on the calendar in May uh, that's coming up uh, that has some real significance. The primary election 
um, is on the calendar, scheduled for uh, the 18th, I believe it is, uh, of the month of May. And there's a lot of significance um, with the primaries. There always are. Um, talk with me a little bit about it in terms of where the building trades stand um, uh, in terms of support going into the 18th. Well, in a roundabout way, uh, it's a very important cycle because in most cases in Philadelphia, whoever wins the Democratic primary has a really good shot at getting elected. And uh, so I'm not sure that's the case as we look at the district attorney's race because the number of homicide, you know, murders and guns and, and, and uh, all the social unrest that we're having right now. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people paying close attention to not only the primary between Krasner and Vega, but also the Peruto versus the winner in November. So, you know, that's going to be a, a topic uh, for a while to discuss. I expect you're going to see uh, a little bit of TV on that. And uh, there's a, uh, the building trades have in that are kind of split, but I would say that a majority of the money has been with Vega, who's the, who's challenging the incumbent, you know, and uh, there's a lot of judge races and there's a lot of statewide races. And, you know, the Supreme Court, which is always, you know, of course, close to my heart because my brother sits on it. But you have uh, Maria McLaughlin. She is also Miss Jonathan Seidel's wife. She is running for Supreme Court. Uh, I've known her for a long time. You talk about a good candidate, a good judge, tough judge. Uh, she, she had leadership roles. She, I mean, she, I mean, she was a good lawyer. Good. She worked in the DA's office. She'll be a great judge. She'll be. Uh, she's someone who, who uh, will. When you get to the bench, at that level, you know, you, you need a lot of your life uh, history. And she's got a load of what we need at this time. She's dealt with kids. She's dealt with social issues. She's dealt with all type of crime when she was in the district attorney's office. And she's been in a leadership position and a management position. So she's running for Supreme Court. She's a, she's a crowd favorite. And then there's Tamika Lane. She is a crowd favorite uh, who has been, you know, just someone who's been all over the city of Philadelphia and uh, being an African-American woman who has spent a majority of her time in churches and neighborhoods where there's a lot of crime and there's a lot of poverty right now. Okay. You know, she's a, a great addition to a bench right now. And there's a series of other people running. Yeah. We got the common police court and the municipal court. And, uh, we have, there's so many people running out of our friends that are built in trades, but there's a consistent group that have been supported. And, you know, there's one individual, her name's Wendy Parrish. She has been uh, the lawyer over the Philadelphia Housing Authority, and we get to negotiate against her. It's just someone who has always, you know, she's not easy to go up against, but she's fair, and she represented the Philadelphia Housing Authority and the people in their inches. And but she was never really afraid to be a friend of the building trades in these conversations. So when when you go, you go through a selection of people like that. You know, it makes it pretty easy to get out and help them and vote. I know today the Philadelphia Building Trades had people all over the place. I had a uh, conversation with the head of the sheet metal workers, Gary Messina. He was up in northeast Philadelphia. He was actually had a group of people working, you know, for uh, Vega and the district attorney's race. Uh, and then I was talking to Jack O'Neill, and he was out, and Brian Edis, he was up in the northeast with Joe Ashdale of the, of the uh, Joe runs the Glaziers, the Painters Union. They got a they got a big umbrella group, and he's the head up there. It was a great.
young kids and retirees and doing phone banks. So, you know, the building trees are doing their part. And, uh, you know, it's right now, I, I believe it's everybody's responsibility to not only vote, but to know who they're voting for. You know, the one thing that I always get a kick out of, you know, and I've said this many times, Mayor Kenny and District Attorney Krasner and, you know, when Donald Trump was the president, Joe Biden, if you did your homework, okay, they were all exactly the way that they said they were going to be. Mm-hmm. There was no surprises there. No, anybody who didn't know, didn't know that Larry Krasner and Jimmy Kenny, you know, were bleeding liberals, didn't do their homework. Anybody who didn't know that Donald Trump was going to fill the courts with, you know, white male Republicans, didn't do their homework. So that's just the way it is. And I always say elections have consequences, you know, and for me, I don't really care about the politics. I care about the people who are going to help create jobs and give us our tools to do our job. Finish up with one last thought, Doc, on the Krasner Vega uh, um, race. Uh, There's so much chatter, conversation um, about it because of the violence that's happening, you know, in the city. Listen, I call you Philadelphia's Philly's biggest fan for a lot of reasons. You know, you know this city better than anyone in the city. And that includes all parts, all sides, you know, all the hidden skeletons, you know, all the stories, you know it all, you know, never in that I can remember, John, or that I could think of, you know, has it been this bad with murder and crime and gun violence um, and I think it's really, really important now um, to know what you do or to know what you know going into the 18th based on that statement. I agree with you, Joe. And uh, again, again, I just hope people realize, okay, and some even my friends in the building trades, it, they were shocked that people that they thought would automatically be for unions you know, primarily our guys that dealt in the fossil fuel industry. Okay. Uh, you know, it seems like they had no friends anywhere, you know, when the refinery had one issue. Everybody was against, everybody was sending the letters, shut the refinery, you know, with with no respect to the fact that the place was ran as safe as any refinery anywhere around and kept a thousand people working at significant wages with significant benefits. And again, I always tell you, you know, I don't want to go down that lane again, but I told you I lived as close to a refinery as anybody, you know, and have lived my whole life there. And I would not want to put anything there that could blow up and take take my whole family out. Of course not, or any of my neighborhood. Okay, but in the environment we have today, you know, and there are statistics matter, you know, and if you take a look, the pandemic, you know, did not help. You know, I don't know how it took so long to have as much social, you know, unrest as it did because the wage differences was getting so big, the treatment on jobs was getting so big, you know, the uh, the complex issues of poverty were getting larger and larger, and there were so many things that should have been done that weren't done. 
And I get it, and I tell people all the time, you know, I try to help people every day of the week. But when we don't have work, it's difficult for us to even, you know, become socially minded when we're just trying to struggle to stay alive in our own industry. So these elections definitely have consequences. Okay, when you have roles and you, you know, and again, no matter how you, how you vote or how you feel, and they're very sensitive issues for me. That's why I stay in my labor lane. No, I only do politics when it affects us. No, my goal with legislation was trying to get tax code legislation changed so that we could bring a new employer or a new employment or data centers into the Commonwealth. And we've talked about that, you know. But I believe everybody now, anybody who lives in Philadelphia, or and it's not solely a Philadelphia issue. It's a big urban issue. Mm-hmm. It's a over. But in the end, we, look, we held the mayor's feet to the fire the last couple of times we've had him on the phone. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, and he, he'll tell you, we're trying to do everything humanly possible. But I believe there's more. I believe we have to create more jobs. I believe that the underground economy doesn't help people. It gives them a day job, not a career. I believe we should we shut down some of these jobs, you know, and uh, instead of giving people just enough money to run and get some drugs, okay, or run, you know, not be able to pay for a family or still put them back in play, okay, and give, put them in a union, give them a career, you know, give us enough work that we can hire everybody, and, uh, you know, we'll do our part to, you know, change as the poverty as far as we can. And anything that we've ever been asked to work, you know, in partnership with, okay, we're part of. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, it's it's a tough issue. Uh, again, you know, most people take a look at, if you look at, you know, Krasner's policies, they're way more lenient. Okay, you look at Vegas campaign, he's talking about becoming more difficult. And then when you see the people line up on the street, like you see, you know, Malcolm Jenkins and say, hey, you don't want to go back to, you know, the way that it used to be, quote, unquote, you know. And again, you and I were consistent. You know, we try to keep this show informative and fun. We try not to get paralyzed by politics because every piece of this city is paralyzed by politics. You know, but when you start to have people dying because of the politics, you know, you have to do something about it, and that's Doc, why. Doc, you know, I, you, you know, I, you know, you know, I hate it. I hate um, or dislike poor neighborhoods because I grew up in one. Um, I hate poverty because I was poor. Um, but I think somewhere. Somehow, collectively, there's a right way to deal with it and a wrong way to deal with it. Now, I don't know the answer in terms of how to ever get us all to that point, but that's how I try and look at it, and that's how I try and see it when I see it. I look for it to see it so I can understand it because I lived it. Okay, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a second here. I don't talk about this that often. You know, and most people don't know, you know, my mom and dad, you know, when we were kids, infants, Kevin, myself, and Maureen, you know. And I used to listen to my mom, and, you know, her whole family came over both from Ireland. And you heard the story. We all lived in a 
They all lived in a two-bedroom row home on Cross Street. Then they owned two two-bedroom row homes on Cross Street. And I think they finally capped out at three two-bedroom row homes. Like 13 aunts and uncles all got off the boat. Okay? I don't remember ever talking about my mom's dad. I know my grandmom worked in a refinery. I mean, a refinery. I know that they never had any money. I know that the stories of my mom didn't have any of her own clothes to a certain period of time. They were all their hand-me-downs or one of her friends gave them to her. Okay? And then I remember people telling me that, you know, that in that circle, my mom was the poorest of all. But my mom taught us, okay, that education was free and that you had to capitalize on it. My mom taught us that it didn't take too much to be polite. My mom taught us that you had to do your homework, okay? You had to get up and go to work. You had to say thank you. You had to say please, okay? My mom taught us an awful lot, and I tell people all the time. I joke around. I tell people I look. I I got all my street smarts at Second and Jackson Playground, you know, and there's still young kids doing the same thing I did. You know, I wasn't a saint by any means. You know, I, I was one of them poor kids, too. You know, we didn't go down the shore for the summer. We didn't go up there. We didn't take any trips. You know, we we got new sneakers once a year. You know, we got, <laughs> I used to laugh. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, nobody gave us anything. So what I learned is that my mom put me in a position that I wanted to do better, that I knew enough that there was a better out there. You know, and I've been working my whole life, multiple jobs my whole life. You know, I was a paper boy, and I believe that, you know, not having a lot, okay, you know, taught me that I didn't want anything else anybody else had, but I wanted the same things that they had. So I I don't remember ever asking my mom or dad for anything since I was about 15 years old because I always had a job or two. You know, they paid for me to go to school and a very good education. And I told you, my mom and dad split about four jobs to send me to St. Joe Prep. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's, there's, so if we want to have a, com- a conversation, you know, it, it actually falls back onto the family structure, mentoring, things along those lines. But they're complicated conversations, and in today's environment, with social media and the politics and, and the whole piece, it just falls apart. So people have a tendency to shy away from that. But elections can help you with that. Elections, pay attention, and you vote for the people. You know, there's there's people out there that will tell you. There's and, – and, you know, when you have a police officer murder a man, you know, like what, it, you know, just happened to miss like that doesn't help the conversation. That takes over the conversation. That is the conversation. And in most cases, rightfully so, because that shouldn't happen in America. It shouldn't happen anywhere. Okay, but it's very difficult. You know, and listen, some of my best friends, okay, and a lot of my best friends are people of color. Okay, and when you grow up in Philadelphia, you play ball. Look, I was a kid playing at Murphy Wreck on a field that was made up solely of stone. And some of the best teams we played were YGS was Young Great Society. Okay, and that was a team of young black kids coming down the fourth and shown to play a team of young white kids. And we were too young to know anything other than, okay, in most cases, they were faster than us, but in most cases, we were a little stronger up the middle than they were. So the object was to keep the YGS kids from running outside, okay, and keep running our game up the middle. 
that's that, that's what life should be about. Life should right. be about winning and losing at a young age. Life should be about making sure everybody feels good. And people who don't have something, for example, we try really hard at Local 98 to be part of the fabric of Philadelphia. I believe we contribute enough, and I believe the building trades contributes enough every single day, okay, that we should be making a little bit of a difference. You know, it's just a difficult environment, you know. There's not enough jobs. There's not enough jobs. There's not enough money. There's not enough families at home. There's there's way too much crime, way too much guns, you know, <clears throat> and way too much social media. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, we'll take a short commercial break. It's the John Doherty Hour. Back in a moment. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause are presented by DC 33, Local 1637, News Guild 10, and IBEW Local 98. Choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor when planning your next project. Back here on the John Doherty Hour here on Talk. Uh, Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, no J-Doc tonight, but he did check in. J-Doc, thank you much. Uh, Doc, just a couple of minutes uh, before we run out of time uh, in this hour, and I did want to get you to um, comment uh, on President Joe Biden had his uh, speech, uh, I think it may have been Wednesday of this uh, of this past week. All the days are running together, so excuse me if I'm uh, if I err on the day, but I think it was Wednesday night. Um, and I want to get uh, I want to give you an opportunity to at least talk about um, his State of the Union address. Listen, anybody who is expecting President Biden to come out and give a rah rah speech, okay, uh, is missing the point. And what I believe his message is is to be consistent. You know, to let people know that there's an adult in the room to not create, you know, any food pause where, you know, he drives anybody over the edge. And I think that that's what he's accomplishing. You know, I think he, he has buzz points when he when he turned when he turned around to, you know, and, and spoke to Vice President Harris and uh, Speaker uh, Pelosi. He said, hey, first time there's ever been two women. I mean, he's always going to he's always going to promote that. That's going to be and he's going to compare himself to, you know, President Trump, who at that time would have been loud and boisterous and screaming to people. Wouldn't he, he would, the difference is that he looked, most of the place was empty. Do you think President Trump would have spoke to a, a, a Congress or a Senate without a full room and a lot of people there? No. You know, so he's always going to compare himself. He's always going to try to, you know, take the comrade. I don't think he said anything that was, you know, too earth-shattering. I think that, uh, you know, it's... Uh, Again, it's a new deal, you know, and uh, he's completely opposite. You know, he's more FDR and completely opposite Ronald Reagan. He's going to spend, spend, tax, tax, and hope that, you know, people go back to work and, you know, we get out of this pandemic. You know, I think he's done a good job managing uh, the pandemic. I think that, and I also thought that, you know, Trump did a good job of moving the vaccines, you know, through the process quicker. But, you know, I mean, but again, down the stretch, I just don't think he had the support that Joe Biden has. He has the media on his side, so no matter if he ever, 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 you know, has a bad moment, they're going to talk about it. So that's probably good for the American people, you know, of uh, you know, of having people tear each other up every day of the week. That doesn't work. The John Doherty Hour here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, we end the show the way we began the show. Uh, hey, Krause, Philadelphia Eagles. Go ahead, Doc. I just want to let you know, I just saw something came through. We're not going to be happy about this. 
you know, I always thought that, you know, Carolina was going to be a real dark horse this year. You know, I like Matt Rule, and they're saying they had one of the better drafts. But they're also saying the Dallas Cowboys had a great draft. That's what all the pundits are saying. That's not good, Brownsy. We I don't want to that. end the show on the Dallas Cowboys. I, I hate to do it, but we're going to do it, Doc. That's going to do it for the Labor Show and the John Doherty Hour. On behalf of Jay Doc and on behalf of our gracious host, John Doherty. I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show have been sponsored by Sheet Metal Workers Local 19, CWA, Communications Workers of America, and AFSME Local 1739, DC 47. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management.